0: Well, Church, part three of this series, the conclusion, means that's the last time that you have to hear that sound. Anymore. Uh, So welcome to the uh, last installment of the series, Making Monday Matter. Listen, before we jump into the content of uh, part three of the message today, uh, I want to just quick do a a look back at how God moved last weekend at Encounter Church as these individuals uh, took this courageous step of faith in showing the world they've been raised with Christ through the act of baptism. And I'm just so excited and so pumped. Um, Can we just like welcome these people one more time and celebrate these next steps? of faith. Yes, yes. It's just... It's so, so absolutely uh, cool. And listen, if uh, if you missed out on last week, if you're wondering if this could be uh, your next courageous step of faith, I want to invite you to go to encounterchurch.org slash baptism and start that conversation today. All right, Making Monday Matter Part 1. We kind of established in a case of the Mondays was the name of it uh, that work isn't just a good idea, that work is a God idea. Last weekend, Part 2, Find Your Why, we said... Uh, We said if you don't know the purpose of something, you're very likely to misuse or even abuse that thing. So we need to find our why. Uh, Today is like an honest acknowledgement that there's sometimes, there's some parts of our jobs, all of our jobs, that we just don't like. And so today is this, uh, what do you do, how do you face your Monday when you don't want to go to work on Monday? When there's just huge parts of your job that you just strongly, strongly dislike. Uh, so in preparation for today, I did a little research. I found a quote from a uh, uh, from an actress, well-known actress, who said, "The part of work that I absolutely don't like, personally, is, is house cleaning. That's the work. Because in house cleaning, you cook, you clean, you do the dishes, you put away laundry, and then six months later, you have to do everything all over again." <laughs> I love that. Uh, I love that quote. Uh, one business owner took. Um, took a group uh, a tour of his factory and he's kind of walking through and showing the tour group like everything you know and what they do and why they do it all and and somebody stops the tour and puts their hand up and says "Uh, I got a question yes sir how many people work here and the owner of the factory kind of looks over at everybody he turns back to the gentleman and he says I'd say probably about half (laughs) yes you got there awesome this is like uh, nature of work is an honest acknowledgement of sometimes we can dress it up as much as we want, that there's a lot of parts of work that we just don't like. We just don't want to go to. In fact, it's fueling what a lot of people, researchers are now calling the great resignation. Otherwise, it's, it's called the, the big quit, where people are, are leaving uh, statistically in, in higher numbers, leaving their jobs than any time before in our nation's history. Oftentimes, they are leaving without like the next thing lined up that's how much they they want to be out of it because there's huge parts of our jobs that we just don't like I know that in God's wisdom in preparing me to to be this in this role as encounter church as pastor of the of the church here uh, God decided to give me several jobs in preparation for today one of them was a bartender It really helps out another one is a meat cutter at a a small butcher shop last one I was an optical lens technician I made glasses for about three years I don't know if there's like a joke in there about like 2020 vision or the year didn't see it coming I don't I don't know but in God's wisdom these are the weird jobs and at every one of the weird jobs there was parts of it that I just couldn't stand like take the the meat cutter thing Everybody else loves fall. Fall is the time of year, the vibrancy of the colors on the trees and the the crisp autumn air. I'm like conditioned now to to be afraid of fall because fall, fall means deer season. Fall fall means deer processing if you work uh, for a butcher shop. And so fall means like every day, no stop, uh, just keep coming in November the animals just start piling up and and you can't win with the weather church either it's freezing cold and you're out there and and you can't feel your fingertips which is a problem because you're supposed to do fine detail work with a very sharp object in your hand or it's not cold and it's steamy warm and you're in a warehouse and you're incentivized to to move these things along very very quickly at every job, there's like part of it that we really, really just don't like. So what do you do when you, when you don't like your job? I'm thinking especially uh, for those of you who have or currently work at retail, like you guys, you guys are real frontline heroes because you have to put up with all of our frustrations and like the boiling point of the anxieties that we have in other parts of life and then just like taking it out on, on you all. I'm at the grocery store and I see in the checkout aisle there's like a steak that's just placed on top of the, the candy rack. And I'm like, oh, who, who gets to the end of grocery shopping and A, thinks I don't want to eat this steak tonight. That's weird. And B, you like putting it on top of the candy rack and checking out like somebody else will deal with it. That's fine. Like, come on, people. Uh, other times, um, uh, retail people, I saw a picture of a, uh, of a, a server who, uh, who posted it online, and under the tip amount, it just says, here's a tip, smile more. And I'm thinking, somebody's going to get hurt around here <laughs> as he's boiling, but these frustrations, like, like boil over. So we're, we're talking about the parts of your job that you just can't stand. Might we need some kind of biblical wisdom as we head into our work Tomorrow. On a more serious note, Catherine Alsdorf was a uh, tech company founder and CEO in the mid to late 90s. And she uh, founded a company that uh, was developing a quality product and delivering it on time. And People loved their job. They loved going into it. Partly because it was in the dot-com boom in the 90s. And there's some valuations that are kind of coming along the line line of their company all of which they have stock options into and the numbers that they're throwing around of this company were 200 to 350 million dollars she's like walking through the office engineers executives are being treated like deity walking around on earth it was a good time to work and the dot com boom in the 90s some of you re- might remember turned into the dot com bust In 2000. And it's like overnight, this windfall just disappeared, gone. She had the unenviable task of trying to raise money during the dot-com bust. There was no round two funding. There was nobody to bail her business, even though it delivered, again, a quality product on time, which was rare. It was gone. Everything they knew was gone. She's a person of faith. She's a Christian and, and she would talk to other CEOs. How do you incorporate faith at work? And I'd say, sometimes I would put a Bible on a desk and people would ask me about it. Other times I'd I pray for a good business climate, for profits that I could gather and then distribute and then give away to organizations and, and charities that could, that could do val- valuable things with them. But what do, you, what do you do when there is no longer a desk to put a Bible on? What do you do when there's no profits to distribute to organizations and charities doing God's work? What do you do when you don't want to go to Monday? When there's a toxic work environment? When there's just huge components of the job that you just don't want any part of? In our time together, we're gonna explore some of the wisdom that God has for us heading into the Mondays, but I just, I want us to be clear about this. As we're gonna talk about this around two lines, is that I want you to know that you work for a boss entirely other than your employer, and that you work for a reward that's so much higher than your salary or your wage. Let's jump into the, into the text this morning. I want to go to Colossians chapter 3. And we're going to a place where if you've ever loathed what Monday has for you, Colossians 3 is for you. Verse 23, you can follow along on the screen or in your Bibles, it says, that whatever you do, Paul writes, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Okay, back it up. What do we, we read here in, in Colossians? Uh, Colossians is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in the city of Colossae. He didn't start that church. He's he's writing this letter to encourage them. Why, why would it be the case that they might need some encouragement? Fun fact for uh, Colossae, for the people. Okay, maybe you don't think it's, may not think it's fun. Bible nerds, we think this is fun. Uh, Revelation chapter two and three, last book of the Bible, there's this outline of some churches uh, that Jesus is addressing to the angel in the church of uh, Philadelphia, uh, Thyatira, Pergamum, uh, Laodicea, which is right next to Colossae. He's writing to all these churches. This is a first century Roman mailing route hitting the major metropolitan areas in modern day Turkey. Colossae is about in the exact geographic center of this region. Colossi does not get mentioned in Revelation 2 or 3. Colossi isn't worth being put on the mailing route. As a city called Colossi, organizational leaders would call this aspirational language. <laughs> Colossi at no point was ever a colossus. An influential kind of city. It's not like it used to be, and then business climates kind of changed, and now they're like trying to regain some of their earlier glory. That's not Colossae. Colossae is a city that never was. As we're talking about people, individuals, people in the room today, watching online, those of you at Fulton Heights, as we're talking, as we're talking about people who are displaced, or or those of us. Who feel like we've never quite lived into what God has called us to live into. Friends, there's a city to describe the state that you feel it's Colossae. It's a city that never was. A city that asks, What are we doing still here? And we come back to that opening line and we break it down, verse 23 Whatever you do, uh, there's, a, there's a few words what how who the first one what whatever you do it, it's got this tone of inclusivity doesn't it doesn't it like <laughs> what do I do I don't know whatever you do anything that you do <laughs> whether it's for pay tomorrow morning office job site <laughs> whether it's working from home there's no pay at all, whether it 's a uh, you pay to do it like uh, you're a student and, and you 're enrolled right now, listen, whatever you do, mowing the lawn, emptying the dishwasher, whatever you whatever you do, okay, but <laughs> i I am in a place right now where my name badge might say i don't want to be here i 'd rather be anywhere else. I studied and I trained for some kind of a job i 'm not in that job, and we hear paul 's echoing refrain, yes, what whatever it is that you do, whatever it is that you're doing. We might have an image in mind about who he's writing to in Colossae. Paul breaks that with the verses immediately preceding this one. You see, because the unique contribution of Christianity on this landscape, and I would also say on the landscape of today, is that at the foot of the cross, the ground is level. And so in Galatians, to a different church, he writes and he says, in Christ, there's no slave or free or Gentile or Jew or male or female. Again, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. And so Paul, in the verses immediately preceding this one, he's giving instructions to people who aren't accustomed to being worth receiving instruction. Paul is writing to these people, he says, first of all, uh, wives, wives, Uh, women i have an instruction for you on how to live your life you're worth speaking into husbands men of course you're worth speaking into he addresses children and people are going at no point were children ever given instructions they weren't like worth the the ink on the paper and then paul goes and slaves In the verse immediately preceding this one, he says, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord, whatever you do. He stretches the inclusivity. Now just a note on that, when we say slaves, uh, the idea that comes to mind is a uniquely American version of that. It's, It's 18th, 19th, 20th century kind of of slavery. The picture that comes to mind is is kidnapping people from their homes, forcibly moving them to a new place, a new continent, and then abusing them in that place and treating them as property. It was a unique form, it was a unique institution 2,000 years ago when this was written. If you were one of the roughly 50% members of society who found themselves at one point in a state of indentured servitude or slavery how you generally got there is probably that you accumulated a certain kind of debt that you could not pay off and so their form of bankruptcy was to sell their selves, their their labor and give a blank check on what they have to offer now you could be employed as just about anything there was not a strata on that side. You could be out in the field picking and planting. You could be indoors doing chores. You could be in the office setting, accountant work, uh, bookkeeping work. You could be, you could be a laborer in, as a medical doctor for a wealthy, prominent family. But suffice to say, if you're in this category, you did not choose to be here. You did not choose the kind of work. It was chosen for you. Whatever you do. And I just think the what is kind of important for us. Because maybe you're one of those people who studied and studied and poured in to get to a place where you thought you'd be like leading a division or leading America's next next great corporation and you're working the same job you had before you paid all the money for the degree. Or maybe you found that job and it was like the presence of God was on you as you swung your hammer or as you sold your items, like whatever it is. And then 2020, 2021 kept happening. And it's like the nature of the work shifted, the people shifted, the climate shifted. And you're going, this isn't what I signed up for. I might as well have a badge on my shirt that says, I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this. And Paul says, whatever. All of it. I'll show up for work, Paul. (laughs) It doesn't mean I have to like it. Further on in verse 23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. There's a what component to this. There's a how component to this. There's an attitude component with all your heart. Some of you have had... uh, have had the gift of discernment being put on you as you were able to quickly surmise in the checkout aisle whether or not the person attending to your sale was working with all their heart or not. It did not take a supernatural gifting of the Holy Spirit for you to know that their heart wasn't in it when you like walked up and like tried to, like, hello, get their attention. It's like, yeah, just, just a minute. And then he said, and then she said, And then I said, and then he said, and then she said. And you're like going, we would all like to get on with our days here. Can we we just like make this thing happen? And you're going, "I, I don't think their heart is in it. And many of you, you have also experienced the opposite of that. Where you like go out to eat for dinner. And it's like to call the person waiting on your table a server is a gross misunderstanding of the calling that they have embodied because they're not just like serving food from the kitchen and like putting it on the table. No, no, they are creating a dining experience like describing the the owners and why they decided to do this restaurant at this time in this place and then the menu items and the ingredients and the sourcing of those ingredients and, like, telling this story of dinner. And you're going, like, I thought I was at Applebee's. Like, what happened? Who are you? And you, and you know, like, this person, they're working, whatever they do, and their heart is just in it. I heard from a, a business consultant one time, and he was describing two real estate developers with almost the same job description. Similar parts of the country, similar price points of homes, similar sales volume annually. But they could not be more apart. Uh, These two guys, the first guy, he just uh, gets a spec sheet on a patch of property and quickly a calculator, simply calculates how many acres, how many houses, uh, price per house, margin of risk, Buy or not buy. Hart, very much not in it, cold, calculating, just wants to get out. He's buying time until he can be done, sell the company and move on to something else. A business consultant talks to another guy who on his own volition decides uh, when he sees a spec sheet, he'd like to get a closer look. He rents a helicopter to fly over the property and he's describing curved winding streets so that kids can be outdoors and play more safely he's describing how he likes to build front porches on the homes to kind of like lure the residents outside in the front yard so that this wouldn't just be a neighborhood but it would be in fact a community where people would get to know each other he starts to describe this moment uh, as he says uh, spiraling staircase as you enter the home, there's this this moment, and he's like, what if one time a young woman is getting dressed for the dance of her life, and she walks down this staircase in her prom dress, and he's like describing this with a tear in his eyes, and he's going, I get to have a small part in that. Who do you want to buy a house from? Whatever you do, All your heart, it makes a difference. You make a difference. But sometimes we don't recognize that. Because all of us, each one of us, have been lied to. And sometimes we know that it's a lie, and we tell ourselves that it's a lie, but the quirky thing about lies is that we kind of seem to believe them anyway. Fun example: Uh, some some of the mistruths that I was I was taught as a kid is that uh, if you go outside with wet hair, you'll catch cold. I was taught that you have to wait an hour before swimming after you eat lunch. Do you know how hard that is to endure as a kid? Like you have a, a sandwich and you're like another hour. I mean, I was taught that if you swallowed gum, it would stay in your stomach for 10 years. Some of you are like, yeah. And you know what? These things I know are not true as an adult who can Google it and fact check this. But yet, I don't swallow my gum. And I'll bet you don't either. Because even though we know they're lies, they kind of find a little root, a little home inside of our bones. And the father of lies, the devil himself, has, has found a way to, like, sneak this mistruth, sneak this lie into your Monday that says what you do doesn't matter. The work you do doesn't have significance, eternal or otherwise. Her work matters. Your work doesn't, though. And we've believed. We've believed the lie. I think it's time to listen to this voice of Jesus to tell us whether you built the office, administer the office, you're a receptionist at the office, a sales clerk at the office, or you clean the office, your work matters. It has significance. There's meaning in your work today. And if we can't see the meaning in the work today, there's preparation for tomorrow. Sometimes it's not necessarily just the meaning today. Sometimes it's what God is going to do with it on into the future. That's a true story of a young farmhand who had the task that nobody else wanted to. Probably because of his seven brothers, they were all much more capable than he was. So when it came time to watch the animals... It was always his job to watch the animals just hanging out with them 24-7, camping out with them every single day. And there's, there's nothing to do at all. And so he's, he's fashioning a, a rope with a little patch of leather at the end. He's picking up stones and he's just slinging them against the trunk of a tree. Again, again, and again. When he gets tired of that, when he gets bored of that, he sits down, he's got a guitar-like instrument, and he's just playing chords, practicing, rehearsing. Who are you rehearsing for? Sheep? Stars? Who's your audience, David? But if it's worth doing, it's worth doing with all your heart, and so he He practices the chords until his fingers bleed. He slings stones at the trunk of a tree until he can hit that one knot every single time on repeat. And he's in preparation. He didn't know it then. It looked meaningless then, but he didn't believe the lie that it was meaningless because there would be a time when he would be called down into a valley to face a giant taunting not only his people, but infinitely more important, his God. And he would walk into that valley when nobody else could defeat the giant and he would slay him with the sling and that one smooth stone. And then when the time came when the king was restless and tormented and he was looking for a pleasant sound, It would be David's guitar, David's lyre that that he would he would call for to, to calm his restless spirit. And just like that, David would be moved from the shepherd's field on into the royal court, and history would be changed as a result. Don't believe the lie that your Monday doesn't matter, that your work doesn't matter. God has meaning for you. You were made on purpose, for a purpose. Today, in preparation for tomorrow. There's a what. There's a how. There's a who. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to put in my heart. But listen, you got to understand something. My boss doesn't deserve my full heart. And I think that you're right. She or he doesn't. But your Lord does. Again, 23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not human masters. You tell yourself, we got a lot of names for my boss. Jesus isn't one of them. I hear God's name at work quite a bit. Dirk, it's not like how you say it on stage on the weekends. It's it's, it's different. Whatever you do with all your heart as working for the Lord. Whether you drive the bus to pick the kids up for school, whether you teach at the school, whether you clean the school, whether you're a student at the school. As working for the Lord. Not for people. Uh, I'd like to share this poem with you that I came across. Where the author begins, Father, where shall I work today? And my love flowed warm and free. And then he pointed out a tiny spot and said, Tend that for me. I quickly answered, Oh no, not that. Why No one would ever see, no matter how well my work was done, not that little place for me. And the word he spoke, it was not stern. He answered me tenderly, ah, little one, search that heart of thine, art thou working for them or for me? Nazareth was a little place, and so was Galilee may we not forget that when God decided to step into the creation that he made he didn't step into leadership at a fortune 500 company he didn't step into the throne room in Rome he stepped into a cradle in the middle of nowhere and changed history from the outside in because his work mattered. And so does yours. Martin Luther King Jr. was fond once of saying that if one's job is a street sweeper, may that street sweeper work as if he was. Michelangelo painting or Beethoven playing music or Shakespeare writing poetry. May that person sweep the streets so that all of heaven and earth would pause and say, here lies a great street sweeper. Let's come back to week one of the series. Let's come back to this recognition that there is no such thing as secular and sacred. That that's the lie that we've been told. Is that when I have the privilege of standing before many of you at your weddings, inches away from you as you commit your lives and your hearts to each other before God. And I get to say, as a minister in a church of our Lord Jesus Christ, I now declare you husband and wife. That is a sacred moment. And when I go home and I still have my tie on because at times sometimes I do wear a tie, I have them. And I'm loading the dishwasher back to front because that's the way my family decided they want it done. And I'm stacking the plates neatly in rows. That too is a holy moment. Andrew Peterson said, there's not secular and sacred. There is only moments that are sacred in moments that we have forgotten are sacred. Reclaim those moments, church. You go to work tomorrow and you might forget, you might forget that quality work with all your heart honors God. But when you go in as a Christian and you wear that label, The people around you recognize that sloppy work with a dismissing attitude dishonors God. You may forget that. They never will. Reclaim the sacred this week. We heard about a what, whatever you do. A how with an attitude. and who, as working for the Lord, not just people. Which one of these are you going to bring under the Lordship of Jesus this week? As we reflect on that, don't forget that we have an inheritance that Catherine Alsdorf had an inheritance. She writes, after the business closed, after she had the unenviable task of laying off each and every one of her employees, she said after that, the staff, entirely on their own, made a plan to come in the following day for no pay to celebrate one another and the work that they had done. Though the celebration was bittersweet, they brought in musical instruments to play for one another, demonstrated Tai Chi, they taught on the evenings, they They laughed and had fun times together. I was amazed. They were honoring a culture, an organization in which they'd found some joy in their work and in their relationships with one another despite the end result. Eventually, I came to see that day as a glimpse of God at work, doing what God does, healing, renewing, and redeeming. That glimpse that God gave her at work—that was an inheritance, a tiny slice of heaven as a down payment in here for what is to come. The thing about an inheritance—you can't earn it, you can't work for an inheritance. God says that slice of heaven that's awaiting you—that's because your family. You go to work tomorrow and you don't work for the approval of others. You work from a place from approval of God already. Because church, you and I, we're family. So brothers and sisters, I want to invite you to stand up as we pray to our Father in heaven. Our gracious God, We accept your invitation to be adopted sons and daughters, heirs and co-heirs with Christ. God, show us this week what it means to work with you, with our whole hearts and the attitude that comes with that. To work, not just for a boss or an employer, but one infinitely higher, to work for you directly, God. And may we receive your inheritance of heaven when the time comes. Jesus, may you be glorified and magnified with our whole selves seven days a week. Amen. Hey church, it's our sincere prayer that this message was able to help you find new life in Christ. And if you did find it helpful, would you consider donating to help drive this ministry forward? And don't forget, there's no substitute for doing life together. So find a worship experience, join a small group or a serving team today. You can do all this at EncounterChurch.org.